morning, church fam. Today our scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through 23. For though I, might, I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do, not, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. May God bless the reading of his word. So I want to thank Micah for reading our scripture today. Um, he was pretty excited to do it when I told him to go put on a nice shirt. Uh, he ran upstairs and he put on a nice shirt and a vest and uh, he was pretty excited to share the, the scripture reading with you guys this morning. Um, we are continuing a series that we began a couple of weeks ago uh, that we are calling the shelter of one another. And we've talked the first week about the idea of us being literal shelter from one another, that, that in our solidarity with one another, in our uh, care and concern for one another, we provide shelter in times of distress or trouble, um, that we can help to lift up and encourage one another when we face difficulties. We talked about how uh, the shelter is not a church building, it is the people I had my audio muted. I apologize. Uh, so the last couple of weeks, we have talked about the idea of shelter. Um, and I want to encourage you uh, with this idea that, first of all, the church is not a building. It's the people. And we talked about that last week. I also want to encourage you uh, to remember that the church is not just one local congregation. We talked about that last week, that the church is the body as a whole across the world. We had the opportunity to share in communion and uh, participate with our brothers and sisters in multiple parts of the world, but we were led in our communion thought uh, by students from uh, African Christian College. And so uh, my hope is that we can remember that we are a broader body than just here in Newburgh. Uh, we have people who are joining us this morning in San Diego. We have people that are joining us uh, in, in Michigan. We have people that are joining us from all over the United States and all over the world, not just for this service that's being streamed right now, but in the body of Christ. Um, what I find encouraging about that is that I know that I am not alone in my faith. Right now, my, my family is sitting in my living room, and they are participating in service with us. I know Kyle is across the neighborhood from me uh, participating in service today. The, the Joneses are across uh, college from us right now. Um, I know that the Craigs are in my own neighborhood, but beyond my own neighborhood, you are worshiping along with me. And even if we weren't doing this stream online, I know that throughout the week, you are participating in the common faith that we have, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and has given us the hope of new life. 
Last week we talked about uh, the idea that all these letters were written from church to church to church uh, by individuals, by the apostles, by, by Paul, by uh, James, by uh, Peter, that they were written with the intention of encouraging the church to, to be the church, and that we've benefited from those same writings for, uh, you know, 2,000 years now. This morning, I want to talk to you about a letter that is written to a church that is struggling with being shelter for one another, because I think that there's a lot of lessons that we can learn in that message. Um, I, want to, I want to draw your attention to uh, this, this passage that comes up in Paul's writings. Um, if you take a look on your screen here, you're going to see uh, a scripture reading. It says this, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, we are doomed to who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand things freely given us by God. And we impart this, and we're not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of God, of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." It's a lot of text, and, and it's a lot to take in, but I think that there's a, a very specific idea that's being imparted here by, uh, by Paul. He's telling us that oftentimes we struggle as human beings to reconcile the will of God if we're doing it from the flesh. Um, on the screen, you'll see again, it says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. As human beings, apart from God's Spirit, it is hard to discern what God wants. But then he says, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. And we have, at the, uh, the bottom here, we have the mind of Christ. As Christians, we are supposed to have discernment that's not derived from our, our physical being. Not derived from who we are physically, but derived from who God has made us in his image. And the Spirit 
that he has given us. And Paul is calling on the church in Corinth to practice some spiritual discernment. They, they are a people that are struggling deeply with division because they've, they've fallen into interpreting things based on the natural person, the flesh, who they are in the world, and the understanding that the world has. And Paul talks about the, the kings of this world, the rulers of this world, who had no understanding of what Jesus had come to do, and as a result, they crucified him. Which is actually, it's significant that he was crucified because that was necessary for our salvation. But if they had had understanding, they, they wouldn't have crucified him, which would have actually been detrimental for us, right? Paul tells us that as individuals with spiritual discernment, we have to act differently from the way that the world acts. But then he also tells us that it's through that kind of discernment that, that we mature and we grow. That by ourselves we're not sufficient, but with the Spirit of God, we might grow, we might mature. And the Corinthian church had stalled in their growth in a lot of ways. Um, this morning I, I want to look at a paradox that kind of happens in this book. Um, but before we do... I think that we need to look at what Paul tells the Corinthian church about how to resolve the disputes that they're facing. See, he talks about a whole bunch of different issues they're having. Uh, issues of sexual immorality, division, uh, issues about eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols, uh, and, and other issues that the church is facing that's causing them division, not just with one another, but in many cases, division uh, against Paul. And, and divisiveness between themselves and other churches. And so I want to look at this, uh, this text this morning. Paul tells the church in Corinth this, I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is, this is his beginning of trying to appeal to them to live in a way that will create harmony. Now, uh, Paul wants it to be clear that they can imitate him, and he's given them reasons that he is a trustworthy person to imitate, because he is an apostle who is working towards the salvation of a whole bunch of people, that his desire is for them to come and know Christ. And so he's asking them to imitate him in a particular way. He says, that is why I sent Timothy. Timothy is an imitator of Paul as Paul imitates Christ. He says, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, the way that I behave as someone who is in Christ. Now, we all know Paul, formerly known as Saul, had a way of being that was before his life with Christ and a, a way of acting that was before his life in Christ. He's asking the church in Corinth to imitate him in the way he lives in light of Christ. He says, and I teach them everywhere, in every church. And this is where we face uh, the, the Romans 8 weaker brother. Uh, I called it a paradox, but really it's just a statement that Paul is trying to make about the way in which we sometimes live. Uh, Paul tells the church that there is a, a great amount of freedom that has been given to them. We see this as something that occurs over and over again in Paul's writings, that there is a, a certain freedom in Christ, freedom from restrictive law that, that has nothing to do with salvation, that 
many people struggled with letting go of. And Paul talks about circumcision and uncircumcision. He talks about uh, those who uh, observe the Sabbath in a particular way and those who don't. And he talks about all of the, the ritualistic things that had been practiced before Jesus and how the church today, or at least in Paul's time, struggled with letting go of the ritual for the sake of the freedom that was offered. And he draws out this particular example here in Romans chapter 8, where he talks about meat being sacrificed to idols. And, and this was something that was happening. Some people were eating meat sacrificed to idols. And Paul says, That's, we all know that there, there is no power behind those things. Nothing in them has any power. And so we can eat those with a good conscience, but there are those who don't have that discernment don't have that understanding, that, that have not grown spiritually, who maybe are still operating from a physical perspective. And this is what he says, this, this paradoxical statement. In verse 8 of chapter 8, he says, We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. There's, there's no harm in it, but there's also really no benefit in it either. But then in verse 13, he tells us that because there are some who might stumble, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. I've grown up reading this passage and had it read to me and interpreted to me. And, and oftentimes, I've heard people use this passage to say, I'm the weaker brother, and you're causing me to stumble in what it is that you're doing. I think Paul wants us to understand something very specific here. We've been given a tremendous amount of freedom in Christ. But we are called in our freedom to use that freedom to encourage others in their spiritual growth. And there are times where in practicing the freedom that we've been given, we could hinder the growth of another. But Paul's expectation is everyone will grow into spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, when someone says, I'm the weaker brother, and they recognize it about themselves, that is God calling them to recognize that they've, they've allowed themselves to be weak and they need to grow. And that's where we shepherd them and guide them forward in their understanding and their faith. When we recognize that someone else is the weaker brother, it's our job to walk patiently with them, but walk them towards spiritual growth. And so I want to share this with you this morning. Um, there, there is this statement that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23, that says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. If you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to expand on what Paul is saying here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is where Micah read to us from. For though I am free from all. This is Paul talking about the freedom that he has in Christ. Because he's, he's been acting 
in the way that he has, uh, working with Gentiles as a Gentile, working with Jews as a Jew, where he finds someone who is a slave, he acts as a slave, or he finds someone who has power, maybe he acts as someone who has power. He says, for though I am free from all the restrictive regulations of the old law, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Which means when he was in the presence of Jews, he practiced Jewish practices. Because it was, it was comforting and sheltering for them. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all. For the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This is, this is a passage I think that we all need to hear. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself be disqualified. Paul talks about this, this journey of faith, this training process, this participation in a race that allows him to win the prize, the crown, the, the, the thing that comes at the end of the race to reach the destination. But he does it to share with them in blessings. Now, he talks about how only one runner can win the race, right? But he's not telling us that only one person can make it to the finish line of our faith and receive the crown of prize. He wants to share with them in the blessings of being a part of the body of Christ. And so Paul acts in a particular way. He does things to engage people who are outside of Christ. He serves in his adoption of, of their way of being while still living under the law of Christ, to provide them with comfort, to, to provide them with easy access to the gospel. Instead of placing up barriers and saying, this is, this is what you have to do before I can allow you to hear the message of the gospel, before I can allow you to come and, and be involved in the process he says, let me see how I can accommodate you. Now, Paul makes it very clear in the previous chapters, he's not going to participate in sexual immorality. He's not going to participate in things that are genuinely against the will of God. 
but he makes accommodations for people who are weak. People who are outside of Christ. People who are struggling because they don't have the blessings that come from a relationship with Jesus. So I ask you this morning, what are some of the ways that we as a church, not just the Newburgh Church of Christ, but the church as a whole, can practice what it is that Paul is telling us here? He, remember, he's told us, if we go back, be imitators of me. And the ministry that I carry out, essentially, is what he's saying. Be imitators of me. Because, and this is all an interconnected thought here, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Or as he said just before this, that I might win some. That I might bring certain individuals to a deeper and and more beautiful understanding of their relationship with Jesus. That I might introduce them to the one who can save them. And of course, I use my discernment. He talks early on, again, about having spiritual wisdom. The mind of Christ being guided by the Spirit. When I engage people outside of the body of Christ, obviously, I want to make sure that I am using my spiritual discernment. But do I recognize that I have spiritual discernment? Now, Paul was doing some things that were somewhat unconventional by a lot of standards. Uh, He was associating with people who were eating meat sacrificed to idols. He was associating with people who uh, believed wild and crazy things about the universe and about the the gods that existed uh, in that universe. And he tells us and affirms here that we believe that there is one God, one Lord. But out there, they do believe that there are many gods. There are many things that people worship. There are many things that they've owed allegiance to. But we live because we believe in one God. Paul shows us in in, uh, his encounter with a group of people called the Areopagus how he takes this, this principle that they believe in many gods and he acknowledges their belief and he finds a single... Uh, pedestal that is inscribed with an inscription that says to the unknown God. And he begins preaching to this group of people who are, are scholarly and religious people who know many things and are always excited about new ideas and, and they want to hear what it is that Paul has to say. And he explains to them, I see that you indeed are very religious and, and I want to tell you about this God that is unknown. And Paul uses a creative way as a hook to get into sharing the gospel with people. And instead of beginning by condemning them for the wrong that was in their life, he meets them where they are and then tries to illuminate them so that they might come to a better understanding of God's will for their life. And sometimes we do it the other way around. We begin by berating people for the wrong in their life and fail to recognize the ways in which they might already be approaching God. And our hook in sharing the gospel is not condemnation. Our hook is in taking what is good and using the Spirit and the mind of Christ 
to encourage people towards a deeper understanding. Because if someone doesn't know Jesus and they're worshiping the ways of this world, and they're living according to the flesh, they are the weaker brother. And if our participating in their weaknesses, the, the things that they do that are wrong, is going to draw them away from Christ, then we don't participate in those things. But where they are, where they are growing clo closer to Christ, we want to come alongside them. We want to encourage them. I think sometimes we use this weaker brother passage to justify that, well, I don't like this thing that you, you my fellow Christian, do. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to appeal to the fact that I'm the weaker brother and you're causing me to stumble. I think what Paul is getting at here is that there are people who are, are struggling, but they're grasping towards a relationship with God. And there are ways that we can approach them that we know are completely within our freedoms as Christians to approach them. Come alongside them and encourage them in their growth towards God while practicing the spiritual discernment that God has given us, while adopting the mind of Christ. Now, Paul actually kind of makes a confession earlier in the book. He essentially, in, in chapter 4, says, Look, all of us apostles, Peter, myself, uh, and, and all the others, we are, we are servants of Jesus. And what we do is with the intention of saving people, bringing them closer to Christ. And you don't follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, or Barnabas. You follow Christ. And in the ways, he later says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, essentially. In Christ, the way that I live in Christ, imitate me. And the way that Paul lives in imitating Christ is to meet people where they are. People outside of the church, but also people inside of the church. But when we meet them where they are, we don't stop where they are. We move them forward in their faith. They might start off as the weaker brother, but the hope is that they grow in maturity, that they grow in spiritual wisdom, that they grow into the mind of Christ. And if we appeal ourselves to being the weaker brother, and we ask someone not to move us forward in our faith, we're not growing spiritually. If we ask someone to, to stop because uh, we, we feel that uh, as the weaker brother, they shouldn't cause us to stumble... And we have the recognition that that's even a possibility. Maybe what we need to do is make a step forward and grow. So uh, this is where this is where I want to go. Um, this is what I want to share with you this morning. Uh, a direction that I hope uh, we can take. Um, I have a whole bunch of notes that I took uh, as I was putting this together. Uh, things that I, I wanted to say, but, but this is the key. This is the thing that I want to focus on this morning. Um, and then we're going to move into our time of communion. I am different 
than the day that I came to Christ. I, I have grown in my spiritual walk. And if I weren't, then there would be something wrong with my approach to faith. Because we are called not to stay at the starting line of faith. We are called to work towards the finish line. We are told in Scripture that we are being made perfect. Where are you in your spiritual walk today? Are you still at the starting line? And who's there with you? Who's behind you? Uh, one, of, one of the things I know, I am not a runner myself, but I, I know many runners. Uh, I have bad knees and it hurts sometimes to run. But here's the deal. When you run with someone else, there is this equitable uh, kind of exchange that happens, uh, at least with a good running partner. They're going to push you to be faster than you are today, to be stronger than you are today. But they're also going to drop back and run alongside you. They're not going to let you go too slow. But they're also not going to push you beyond what your actual ability is. If you're back at the finish line, you need to find a running partner. Someone who can pull you a little forward. If you are someone who is a little forward, you need to look behind you. Look look at who is maybe a couple paces behind. Maybe a maybe, uh, hundred yards behind. And adjust your pace. Come alongside them. And together, run so that they might build up endurance. That they might go from being weak to being strong. And, and there's a whole bunch of different areas that this might, might be in. Paul says, look, I, I don't eat meat sacrificed to idols because I know that there are those that if I do that in front of, it might become a struggle for. His, his statement uh, that he makes there at the end of chapter 8. Uh, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. But I also recognize that I have freedom. I also recognize that there is a blessing at the end here that is a lifting of the weight of restriction and a move into freedom in Christ. And I call you to recognize where you are in this race. Recognize that maybe you are the lead runner and you need to drop back and keep pace with somebody and pull them forward in patience in, in long-suffering, one of those fun biblical words. And if you're, if you're a little far behind and you recognize that person up there is someone whose faith I aspire to because they are more like Christ than I am, imitate them. Push yourself forward a little bit. And don't fall into the habit of saying, I'm the weaker brother, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm always going to be. Let them pull you forward. And in doing that, you will grow. And maybe you can pull someone forward behind you. Into the freedom and the blessing that comes from being a part of the body of Christ. Because we are all called, as Christians, to be a shelter for one another. And we can't do that if we're not alongside one another. 
So this morning, uh, I, I want to I want to pray with you, and then we're going to go into our time of communion. I hope I hope you understand where I'm coming from today. I hope that you understand what it is that I'm trying to share. We are all on a journey together. We are runners in a race together. We are we are partners in a race together. And our goal is not to make anyone stumble. It's not to cause anyone to fall flat on their face and then leave them in the dust. Our goal is to call to one another to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. And to set an example, as Paul sets an example, of what it looks like to be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today. Ask yourself the question, how can I do that this week? How can I uh, not cause my brother to stumble, but call them to a spiritual maturity, to listening to the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit, and sharing in the mind of Christ? Let's pray. Father God, uh, Jesus came to this world He humbled himself. He took on the restrictions of human flesh. He took on the the limitations and pain and struggle that come from living in this world in a, a physical body so that he might call us to something better, something greater, so that he might give us new life, Liberty and freedom that we have not experienced before him. Freedom from sin and bondage and suffering and slavery. And Father, we we recognize that there was uh, so much that we could never possibly accomplish on our own. But you have given us your son. You have given us an example in him of what it looks like to mean to come alongside rather than to be apart to encourage and pull one another forward in our faith, to lay down our lives and our liberties for others, but then, Father, also to call people to a a better and greater way of being. Because that's what you've done for us. And we have models of faith in our lives that have allowed us to see what that looks like. And, And, Father, they've come alongside us and walked with us for periods of time, and some of them have gone along, and we, we miss them, and we love them, and we, we desperately long to see them again. But Father, we now have the opportunity to come alongside others and move them forward in their maturity, move them forward in their growth into a relationship with you through your Son. And when they come to know your Son, you, you fill them with your Spirit so that they might have your presence there to provide them with wisdom and discernment. And Father, we know we don't always practice the wisdom and discernment that we should, but we pray that we continue to grow to do it more and more and more until it becomes not not our old way of being, but a new way of being. Till the spiritual way supersedes the natural way, Father. I pray for everyone who's, who's participating in our worship this morning. I pray for all Christians throughout the world to allow the Spirit to be their guide, but then also to, to be a, a help to one another, to shelter one another uh, from um, difficulty, but Father, also to call one another to something greater, to be imitators of our best examples as they imitate your Son. 
Help us not to be the weaker brother. And help us not to hinder the weaker brother. Help us always to be calling one another to something more. Not to the image of this world, but to the image of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to participate in communion uh, together. Jesse has uh, put together a communion thought for us, and uh, and then we'll pray for the cup and the bread. And uh, and then following that, uh, I'll be back to share just a little thought with you. Uh, so let's hear from Jesse this morning. Good morning, church. I hope you all are staying happy and healthy and enjoying um, this little extra time that we have with our families. Uh, I have the privilege this morning to bring us our communion thought. And I thought that I would take it a little bit different direction than we normally do. I'd like to start by sharing a, a story. Uh, I'm going to read it off my iPad here. Matt was your typical 10-year-old boy. He was an only child who loved to play soccer, video games, and hang out with his school friends. His relationship with his parents had always been good. His mother and father loved him more than anything and were very proud of his accomplishments. You see, little Matt's father had always dreamed of having a son. He was the kind of dad who, when he got home from work, would drop off his work bags, even after a long day at the office, and would throw a football with his son. Now, one day, they were watching the news and saw that there would be a terrible outbreak of a new and far incurable disease that was spreading quickly worldwide. Everybody was required to come into a hospital and get tested. Matt's father took him in, and Matt looked at his dad and said, Dad, do I have to do this? His father looked at him and said, Son, the world is hurting, and we have to do our best to save it. Matt thought about this for a second, and then he nodded his head and let the doctors take him back. About 30 minutes later, one of the doctors came out to Matt's father, and with a grim look on his face, he explained that little Matt's blood contained a cure, the only cure, and that this cure could save the entire human race, but the procedure would take his son's life. The choice is yours, the doctor said and left him there in the waiting room. After about an hour with tears streaming down his cheeks and with a choking sob, he gave the doctors the go-ahead to get the cure and to take his only son so that the world so that the world could live. You know, sometimes I don't think that we take the time to realize that although God is all-knowing, all-powerful, he isn't immune to pain. He makes this very clear in Matthew 27, verses 51 through 52. This is immediately after Jesus has died on the cross. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Just as Matt's father loved him, our God loves his son Jesus. How can we even begin to know how much God must love us if he give up his only son so that we can live to be free from sin. I think this is an amazing story. And I would just encourage us that, you know, as we go about our life, always remember the sacrifice. Always remember that, uh, you know, we who are baptized into Christ uh, have been buried with Jesus. And, um, you know, the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop there. We were buried with him in his death, but we were also raised to life. Uh, and we have a new hope. We have a new life in Jesus Christ. And 
I would just encourage us that as we take this bread or, you know, whether we're sitting at home with our family and, and we're you know, eating a cracker or drinking grape juice or, uh, you know, the stuff we picked up from the front of the church building, whatever it is, whatever we're taking this morning or even if we don't have access to something to physically take that, you know, our hearts and our minds are, are in the right place and that we, we truly remember why we're doing this. And I would just encourage us to remember that great sacrifice that Jesus made for us and um, the sacrifice that uh, our God made so that we just have that chance, that opportunity to be in heaven forever. Church, I hope you're healthy. I hope you're well. And uh, God bless you. Let's pray for the bread. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the, the bread. Thank you for the way that it represents to us the physical body of Christ, what he gave up in heaven so that he could be among us. Uh, thank you for his incarnation. Thank you for the body that hung on the cross, and the pain, the suffering that Jesse talked about that he endured for us, and that he came alongside us, and in solidarity with our existence, he, he lifted us up. In his death, he conquered sin, and he conquered death itself in his resurrection. And we remember those things so we remember his body that bled and his body that rose from the grave. Amen. Now let's pray for the cup. Father, it is the blood that washes us, and the blood uh, that we participate in as we are baptized, and the blood that we remember that was shed for us, and that serves as uh, new life, because the life is in the blood. And we give up the old way of being, the old self, and as we, we take this cup, we remember the life that we are filled with in you. And Father, we, we pray that we are called to so much more than the life that we are leaving. And that we hear the pray, that we hear that call from you and we move forward out of the tomb, out of the trappings of who we were, into the reality of being a part of the body of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
It's at this point in our service that we're going to be moving into our time of worship. Uh, if you want to follow along with the songs that are provided, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we hope that they're uh, facilitating a meaningful time of worship for you. Uh, but if you want to worship at home with your family, uh, with your roommate, your, your small group, or just uh, alone as, as an individual, we invite you to do that this morning. Um, at the end of the, the song service, uh, we will... Uh, sign off. But I do want to remind you of one other thing uh, that that uh, I keep forgetting. Um, we still have a way for people to give. Um, if you are wondering how you might be able to give, you can give uh, through the mail uh, or drop off a check at the church building. You can set up bill pay with your bank. Um, and you can also give online on our church website. Uh, there's a link to our giving uh, opportunity. Um, we have a lot of benevolence that we are currently giving. Uh, we have, I think, surpassed the original goal that we'd set for benevolence this year. Uh, but we still have money to do that. Uh, but it would be good for us to be able to continue to support people for uh, the, the future because we know that there are a lot of financial needs that people have. Um, and we want to make sure that as, as the church, we are meeting people where they're at and that we are supporting the needs that they have um, there are ongoing costs that the church has as well, uh, but we want to make sure that we are uh, contributing with the intention of supporting those who are in need, um, and we, we have those who are in need. And so I invite you and encourage you to give, um, and these are the ways that you can. If you have a need of the church, uh, let us know. If you need someone to pick up groceries for you, if you have prescriptions that need to be filled, if uh, if you have hearing aids that need to be dropped off at Costco for tuning, uh, we have people in the church who want to make sure that you are being provided for, uh, that your needs are being met. And so I encourage you uh, to consider giving if you can give, um, and I encourage you to ask for help if, if you are in need of help. Uh, so thank you for your time this morning. Let's go, uh, go ahead and worship together, and then I'll be back afterwards uh, to sign us off for the day.